All right, everyone, welcome to day two of Diverse Tech Fest. I'm so excited to be here. We have an amazing panel today on what they don't tell you about entrepreneurship. So for those of us who have a side hustle and are looking to explore the entrepreneurship side, this is definitely the panel for you to come in, chime in, ask questions, and really get a full view of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. I think, in at least in the Trabaja community, there was a couple of um, members that asked questions like, hey, what are some of the struggles about entrepreneurship? And it's something that we don't talk enough about. You know, we share a lot of the success stories. And when you see us on LinkedIn, you see us either like raising around, hiring professionals, all of the amazing things, but you don't really see the behind the scenes of what it really took to get us there. Um, so today, this, this is what that panel is all about. We're really going to get into some of the struggles that these entrepreneurs faced when, you know, launching their businesses and, you know, really where they are today. Um, and having them really share their stories a little bit more of that candid conversation and talk about entrepreneurship. So I am going to introduce our panel. We have Nestor, who's the co-founder and CEO of CEO Seguros, an insurance technology company focused on providing affordable access to car insurance. He founded Seguro while at business school after seeing family members struggle to buy auto insurance. Before his graduate studies, Nestor spent most of his career investing in inclusive financial institutions in emerging markets during his time at developing world markets and creation investments, where he did business in dozens of countries. He began his career in investment banking at Goldman Sachs in New York. So, Hi, well, Thanks for having me. Yes, absolutely. We also have Brandon. Brandon is an innovative leader, marketing consultant, and tech entre entrepreneur with a long track record of success in marketing and growing businesses. He is the co-founder of Rap Plug Incorporated and a self-taught developer and the recipient of multiple awards, board member of multiple nonprofits and startups, and a professional marketing technology and branding consultant to celebrities, organizations, and artists. He recently launched his tech startup, Rap Plug Incorporated, a social networking and streaming platform for the hip hop industry. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. I'm excited to have y'all. We have Keyshawn Johnson, who is next. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson is an accomplished senior project manager, LinkedIn strategist, and entrepreneur. She launched her career in San Francisco, California as an associate in business leadership program at LinkedIn. During her time at LinkedIn, she gained expertise on leveraging the platform for professionals, development, career advancement, business growth, and branding. She then launched KY Solutions Company, which provides one-on-one -on -one LinkedIn sessions to individual clients and hosts workshops at corporations, universities, organizations such as NFL Films, Townsend University, and Microsoft. She streamlined the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives at Comcast NBC Universal as a project management coordinator and is now a senior manager on the project management team at Publicist Health Media in Philadelphia. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you all. Yes. And last but not least is Lauren Fitzpatrick Shanks, who is an entrepreneur, award winning engineer tech leader, writer, mentor, wife, mother of two, former gymnast that still loves to flip, 
and an avid conversationalist. She spent 14 years working at Fortune 500 companies, um, holding various leadership roles in design, system testing, product creation, staffing, software program management, and operations. As a Black millennial woman in engineering, sorry, this mascara is in my eye, and tech, she's no stranger to breaking barriers and being the first or only. Welcome, Lauren. I was like, I hope my spotlight is still taking me off. <laughs> okay. Give me one second. This is why you don't wear makeup in the morning. Seriously. All right, we will do a quick round table just to learn a little bit more about you and what you're working on right now. I know a couple of you are um, working on some special projects and have gotten quite far in your entrepreneurial journey. Sorry about that. So I want to know, how did you know you were meant to be an entrepreneur? And I will start with Nestor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, good question. I didn't know I was meant to an entre- to be an entrepreneur. Um, I studied finance. I worked in finance, and um, I mean, I guess reflecting a little bit, my father started a company when I was younger, and so maybe that rubbed off on me a little bit. But I really didn't have any plans to start a company. I just kind of ran into a problem that I thought I could fix, and I never thought about it ever again. I never considered starting any other company. I never, never considered doing anything else other than solving this issue for for immigrant working class communities and, and accessing auto insurance. And so, I think for me, once I came across that problem and thought I could fix it, that was pretty much the end of the the thought process i don't know if anyone else can can relate or if you guys were all entrepreneurs out the get i totally can relate to what you just said nestor so um i am a first generation engineer so no one in my family had ever done any type of building and my degree is in aerospace engineering and i always liked taking the difficult path to things and my father noticed that and saw that and always said, you're going to be an inventor. And I fought that a lot because I didn't want challenging, but I always was drawn to challenging things. But similar to what you said, my company, which is called Keep Wool, it stands for Keep Wondering Out Loud. We're a game-centric talent development technology company that focuses on meeting every employee where they are and bridging the gap between learning and doing. And I didn't I didn't say, hey, I want to go solve this problem. It was more so a problem that I was having in the workplace, working at five different organizations and seeing the same thing constantly happening at each organization and knowing that the only way to be able to fix this problem was to come out, build a solution that was able to rectify that problem. So it's a similar state. Like I didn't come out and then I was like, hey, this is an idea. Now I want to go do this idea too. And like being that solution minded person that was just like, I want a bunch of side hustles and whatever I can get my hands on. It was more so like, this is my purpose. This is what I'm here and meant to be doing in the problem I'm meant to be solving. And I've focused on that intently. So I wouldn't even go to say like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. It was more like that problem found me and I was the one that was meant to to go work on it. That's that's exactly how I felt just now. And I, I, I just, maybe before 
Brandon or Kishan mentioned, I think at business school, I ran into a lot of people that wanted to be entrepreneurs, which is cool too. That, that There's a whole approach there. I just know that if I wasn't obsessed with this problem and obsessed with fixing this, this would be a thousand times harder. Yes. And I, ha- I went to business school too, focused on operations management. And I felt like there's so many people who are like, I'm an entrepreneur. So they're always looking for a problem or they're trying, like, that's the frame of mind they stay in. And that totally wasn't me either. Like, I, I can't work as hard on this as, with what you have to do in entrepreneurship if I don't care about it and it's not affecting me and I don't see value in it. So totally on the same page with Brandon and Keyshawn. Yeah. yeah. Brandon, you can go. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, awesome. So I actually love that you guys said that because when the question was first posed, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I've ever considered myself meant for entrepreneurship. For me, I would say I've definitely always been a hustler. So I've been a hustler and I would say that entrepreneurship fell into my lap. But when I thought back on it, when the question was initially posed, I'm like, I mean, I did sell candy um, when I was in high school and like any opportunity where there was an opportunity any chance that there was an opportunity to make money as early as 12, 13 years old, I definitely took advantage of that. So I would say that I had entrepreneurship in me, um, but I would have to tackle um, what Lauren said about more so just seeing a problem and then knowing that I had the tools to create it. So I have a platform called the Other Half Series, and it's a platform for individuals to unpack, unlearn, and identify who they are external to their professional success. And the other half launched in 2017. It's just a social campaign. I actually created a video on social media and said, hi, I want to interview 100 women about their relationships with their fathers. And I actually interviewed 100 women in four months. Um, I was working full time and going to school full time. And it was on the news and it was this huge thing. But it was just a social campaign. And that's how the other half series launched. And then from there, um, I started to host like a journal club for women and Um, host events and things like that. And I recently launched a self-reflection journal with six sections and envelopes in it. And it helps you explore your relationships and identify your emotions and understand yourself on a deeper level. But what even made me create the other half was the fact that for me, um, I grew up in the inner city of Philadelphia. I didn't have a lot of resources. I didn't have a lot of positive mentors. I didn't have a lot of ideas of other things that I could be. Um, And so I feel like I just put my glasses on and I just, you know, went through tunnel vision. I worked really hard, graduated, studied abroad, did all these things. And then when it was time for me to actually start to create friendships as an adult, relationships as an adult, even in the professional world, I realized that I had suppressed all the trauma that I had experienced and seen growing up. When I put that those glasses on for tunnel vision, I blocked out anything that had to do with like my emotions and my feelings or my upbringing. And I just put my tunnel vision on. And when I got into the professional world, I noticed that a lot of entrepreneurs, professionals, um, creatives felt that same way where they're like, OK, I got to the top where I was working hard towards. I reached the success that I wanted, but it feels it doesn't feel great because I didn't work on a lot of the trauma and a lot of the healing that I needed to do. So. That's actually how I became an entrepreneur, just creating a platform for people to say, okay, I've reached the success, and who am I outside of that success? Dope, dope. 
I feel like um, for me, I'm the opposite of you guys. I, I felt like I was born to be an entrepreneur. I was one of those guys who was like, I'm going to own my own business. I'm going to run my own company. And um, I think I just religiously looked up to and studied and followed other entrepreneurs. Um, I work in the music and entertainment space. Um, my first company was a nonprofit consulting firm at the age of 19. Um, I was, you know, doing, working with grants and contracts and I was in college hiring my peers to work for me. And while I was in school, I was, you know, hustling, like you said, but I was also building businesses. And um, even in high school, uh, I can relate, you know, I was selling donuts out of the locker and candy and all that kind of stuff. I was hustling. So I don't know, for me, it was like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I looked up to people like Diddy, like Master P, um, Steve Jobs, um, you know, people in the music tech and media space. And um, and that made me want to be an entrepreneur. I got to see how, you know, Diddy created um, the whole Ciroc scenario, plus the bad boy entertainment. And he was doing deals with McDonald's for his artists. And I was just like, man, like I want to be in the music space. I want to be in the entertainment space. I started off as like a singer, songwriter and a manager. And that's really what got me to where I am now with my company is that um, I just, I, like you said, I found there was a problem in the music industry where people who come from smaller cities, they really couldn't afford to go to a Revolt Summit or an A3C Music Festival or South by Southwest, or they didn't have um, a, a uncle in the industry who they could plug with, who could tell them about the industry. And my friends were spending thousands of dollars, you know, on music videos and beats and stuff like that. And they didn't even own the intellectual property, they had no idea, you know, and so um, for me, it was more like, hey, how can we um, create a solution where we can plug people into the music industry, give them the knowledge and information that they need to be successful? You know, um, and that's where Rap Plug came from, being a plug, being a, an opportunity to connect people to industry professionals um, through technology. So I don't know. Awesome. Yep, I got y'all. Don't worry. I got you for the next question. <laughs> I am here. My eye is under control. And I wanted to get into a little bit more about what exactly is your business, right? Because I know everyone had a quick intro, touched on it a little bit. But let's get into what exactly is your business. Is it a marketplace? Is it a software tool? Is it a platform? Is it a consulting agency? And then also, what were the first steps you took to get that business off the ground? Nestor, we'll start with you again. I'm going to try to keep this brief, although getting off the ground was a process. Um, so let me tell you about, about Sego. So Sego uh, is a mobile-first auto insurance provider focused on immigrants and working-class populations. Particularly today, we focus on the native Spanish-speaking population. So if you need help in Spanish, if you have a foreign driver's license, if you don't have a credit score, it all of a sudden becomes a lot harder to get access to auto insurance unfairly because it doesn't necessarily mean you're higher risk. And so that's kind of where, where I thought there was an issue uh, we could solve. And so we built Sego, like I said, direct to consumer, mobile first, fully bilingual platform end to end. And furthermore, we launched an auto insurance product that doesn't use credit score. We don't use education. We don't use um, uh, employment for underwriting uh, purposes. And so we really focus on building a product that we feel is inclusive and, and caters directly to the immigrant working class populations we're serving. Um, 
getting off the ground. I guess the, the one piece of advice, just do it, start doing something, start working towards it. This is going to feel so abstract and nebulous. Like you're just doing a whole bunch of stuff that's not correlated. And then it's at some point it'll all click and then it'll be a business and it'll start working and you'll see kind of how your work is generating revenue and how, how, how everything's related. But I remember early on, like, I don't know, I'll, I'll put up a landing page. Like, I guess I should study for my insurance exam. But what I do know is get started, get going, start talking to people, start talking to other founders that can guide you. Someone who's six to 12 months ahead of you can give you a lot of information about what you need to be doing right now. And so find those people and 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 try to get get mentorship or, or at least a conversation. And I get, I get on the phone with as many people as I can. Um, I guess more concretely, what do we do to get an insurance company off the ground? I studied for my licensing. I, I took the exam and I got an insurance license to sell auto insurance. I then found an insurance company that would appoint me and I started my insurance agency selling insurance over the phone. So at the very beginning, it was a, a, a landing page and, and me on the phone dialing out to people that probably didn't want to talk to me. But we did that over and over until we sold the policy. And, and then from then on, we started building tech. Um, obviously, it sounds a lot easier in hindsight. Um, I don't know if we want to go in the same order or we did last time. Take Absolutely. Whoever, this is a conversation. Okay. Whoever wants to jump in, has their answers ready. We are here I for it. I would say for me, so Rap Plug is a music, media, and tech company. Um, uh, we basically built a app and a website that allows you to um, learn from music industry professionals in the music industry. So we have what we call Rap Plug Pros a database and a library of Grammy award-winning producers, engineers, singers, songwriters, and A-list, um, B, C-list artists that we partner with. And you can learn how to be successful in the music industry from these professionals. Um, outside of that, we also have exclusive content, like behind the scenes of some of the biggest tours or um, exclusive uh, studio sessions, um, things like that, that we also offer on our platform as content for our users. And then we have a community tool for individuals to um, basically promote and market what they do in our marketplace. And so we are what you call software as a service or platform as a service, content as a product. You know, that's the, the space we operate from a technical technology standpoint. Uh, and then we also do a lot of events offline, um, our own festivals, events and things like that. And so we've worked with a lot of big people like Diddy, Rick Ross, um, Eric Bellinger. Um, we've been on tour with Jeezy, TI, all kind of people. And so the way I got started was um, I started off building apps for celebrities um, and with a marketing company that I started. And then I realized I wanted to build something that was a little bit more scalable um, and that also, you know, could really reach the masses of people. And that really provide a solution for the music industry, uh, something that can educate and empower, but also entertain um, people in the music industry. And that's where the uh, content side and the software, the service and the streaming and um, you know, um, pay-per-view and all that stuff came into play. And so, yeah, we have our app that people can download from the Google Play and the Apple Store or go to our website. And then we have our events and things that we do offline. And uh, yeah, we see us being the next, you know, big platform for the music and entertainment space um, through our uh, offerings. Uh, getting started, it was, it was basically me having a plan. I tell people all the time, have a plan. You know what I mean? And when I say have a plan, like I really thought about every single piece of my business from how we're gonna acquire customers to how we're gonna raise money, the type of money I wanna raise, the type of partners I need to have strategically as um, you know, organizations and companies as well as staffing, 
um, the, even the city I wanted to be in, I actually moved to Atlanta, Georgia to grow my company because I knew that was the ecosystem I had to be in for something like this to succeed. And, you know, and um, I went through an accelerator with Comcast, NBC Universal. Um, they had an accelerator called The Farm. Uh, like I said, I pitched to investors. I've raised money. But it really was me having a really, really good idea, putting it on paper, having a really, really good business model, strategic plan, and then starting to um, execute it. You know, it started with a landing page. It started with me uh, developing the first version of the app and a beta and, you know, building a team to develop it and, and really having a proof of concept before I could get funded. You know, and so I think if you really want to be successful, have that plan, um, challenge yourself, um, you know, be ready to pivot just in case your company pivots, but also make sure that you are building some type of proof of concept, you know, around uh, what you want to do so you can validate it. Um, I'll go after Brandon, because I think what he just said with that proof of concept and having that that just those initial MVP products that take you to the next step that enable you to not only find customers because you can go to your customer with an idea and stuff, but they want to have something tangible. How does it work? But also for investors, they want to know that you have some traction. So with Keepwool, um, I'll just reiterate what we are and what we do. But once again, we, we fall into the talent development space. So that learning and development space within your workplace. So I'm sure many of you have worked at different jobs and have left different jobs. And there's always that they try to keep you at the end. Like, what can we do to keep you here? And you're like, hey, if you would have asked that question six months ago or listened to me six months ago, maybe I would have stayed longer, maybe I wouldn't be leaving. And so that's what Keepwool is very much focused on doing. We utilize a three-step process in our game-centric um, talent development technology platform, which is Play, Reflect, and Grow. And so we have a library of psychology-based games that really emphasize storytelling to elevate the human experience and provide those contextual details of understanding, um, removing assumptions, and then promoting that sense of belonging. And we're very much focused on teams. So many people in our space, in the learning and development space, is really focused on that individual development, personal and professional. And or, and or group like you opt into this, but really what keeps you at an organization who helps you thrive, who's going to support you most is that direct team that you're on. And so that's where we focus heavily in because they make or break the environment and your feelings of contentment at the job you're at. So your manager, your team, those are the people that really will keep you there or will make you want to leave. And so we utilize all that to really focus heavily on interpersonal skills and build up the engagement and team dynamics within a team. And basically within our platform, we're combining these live multiplayer web-based games along with AI technology and end-to-end -end learning integration to really not only maximize cultural intelligence, but also to build that um, place of work that you that you want to be at rather than that place you're biding your time at just trying to make money. So making work a place you desire to be at. Um, with regards to getting started and everything, I've been working on Keepwool since 2018. And we utilize, like I said, these psychology-based games we're building. And that that takes a lot of that takes a lot of back-end work to get things up, running, testing, and things. So we created the methodology. We created 
physical product too. So we sold over a thousand games of physical product on three different continents. And like, similar to what Brandon was saying, there's just these different baby steps that you take um, one step at a time to build something up. And so I did know that I always wanted to go the technical route with it. And so we started with this physical product to really test, test out like, our, our proof of concept. Does this make sense? Will the methodology work? Then we created that digital prototype at first. And when we when we first made that initial prototype, and this was using just HTML, CSS, like very much simple, like here it is here, like it clicks, it works. Um, we had a lot of different companies come in that this was initially B2C, so business to consumer. We had people coming from large organizations to attend this from a personal perspective. And once um, they attended one of our games, they went back to their organizations and said, hey, we need to bring this into our company. So I accidentally fell into a B2B model, a business to business model, and my product pivoted to enterprise software and then um, a SaaS platform. So it's things like that, that you have to listen to what your customer is wanting, what direction, like who's going to pay you for your product too, because we had something that was a consumer product that they're like, well, our company will actually pay for us to utilize this. And what I really need it for, like, this is great that I'm getting this insight and this knowledge and these learnings um, with these strangers and these people I just met, but who I really need to know all, who really needs to know all this information about me and who I need to know this type of information about are my teammates. And so I, I feel like a lot of, in a lot of cases, because this is called what they don't tell you about entrepreneurship. In a lot of cases, we talk about that plan, but in, in actuality, you have to have a plan and then you have to have five different versions of your plan because your plan's always going to go a different way than you expect. Um, and so plans never pan out, but you got to have that path that you're going to follow down. But you have to be willing to listen to the people who are paying for what you are providing and go in that direction and provide them what they need. And I feel like if I didn't do that, we would not be as successful as we are right now. But I think that lots of people make it seem like I had this grand vision. You can think of like Steve Jobs and Apple, or you can think of Tesla and Elon Musk. And it's like, imagine how many different brains constructed that grand vision that they get to be idolized for as being being the creators of, but it really is a team and community effort. So for all of you that are solo entrepreneurs and that are starting from scratch and you think you have to do it all, it's going back to, I think, what Nestor said and things is like reaching out to your community. And I think Brandon said this too, like people within college that were working with him and bringing, like bringing those people on because they're going to expand your ideas. I love that, Lauren. Um, and I totally agree with everything that you guys said. I mentioned earlier when I first spoke about the other half and what it is. And also when Shannon did my intro, she spoke about my professional development company. So I'll speak on both. Um, I'll start with the other half. And I've already mentioned that it's a platform for individuals to unpack unlearn and identify who they are external to their professional success. Um, and as I mentioned, I kicked that off as a social campaign after I interviewed 100 women about their relationships with their fathers. So originally, the other half was dedicated to fatherhood. And it was about helping women and men 
um, unraveled their relationship with their father and how it impacted them romantically, professionally, um, emotionally, and the list goes on. And what the great thing about it is that as I started to build that community around fatherhood, people started to come to me for things outside of fatherhood. So I would have these one-on-one conversations and I'm talking like, entrepreneurs. I mean, these women had like PhDs, master's degrees, all these amazing things. Um, And I was like, wow, I have this great community of professionals and they've identified me as someone that they're comfortable with coming to about anything. And so that's when I decided to broaden the other half outside of just fatherhood, because people were coming to me like, hey, I had my, you know, PhD graduation last weekend and my boyfriend, he didn't show up the way I wanted him to. Do you have any advice on how I can talk to him about how to show up for me? Because I'm starting to feel a little triggered because my dad didn't show up when I was younger. And also I started to notice that even at work in the professional settings, I have a different relationship with my male coworkers versus my female coworkers or my male bosses versus my female bosses. Some people share that when they worked with their male bosses, um, they it reminded them a lot of their relationship with their dad. Maybe they were really silly with their dad or really outgoing with their dad or their dad really empowered their creativity or things like that. So they would feel at work, they would come to their male bosses about their ideas more. They felt more supported where they may have had a different relationship with their mom. And so for their female bosses, they didn't always feel as comfortable coming to them. They felt like they had to have a plan written out or things like that. And these are things that as professionals, we don't always think about. As I mentioned, most of the people that I worked with, they had came from single parent households. They had came from different types of backgrounds where their only goal was to reach a certain level of success. And then once they got there, they started to realize, wow, my relationships with all these people are being impacted because of my upbringing. Um, And so that's why I transitioned the other half from being a platform about fatherhood into now just helping all professionals be able to identify their emotions, unpack Um, who they are, and then also unlearn some things because it truly benefits every area of our life. Um, I heard a quote that said, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And so I started to work with these professionals on their relationships with themselves first because that relationship with themselves was then reflected in every single area of their lives. And so um, a few people spoke about the um, different ways of starting their business and I recently transitioned from having a service-based business for the other half. So as I mentioned, we had a, have a journal club. We have amazing events throughout the city. We have this community of women. So very service-like to me. I can plan an event with my eyes closed. I can do all these things with my eyes closed. And because a lot of my work is done around emotions and feelings, it's very easy for, to bring people out because they don't always have that safe space. So my events will sell out in like five minutes. Um, I can get anyone to really buy into a lot of the community because it's there and it speaks for itself. But goodness gracious, you guys, I transitioned into a product business last year and I was like, what? I thought I was this great entrepreneur. I'm like, I'm just so successful. And then it was time to launch a product business. And I was like, wait, huh? I know nothing. And I am terrible at everything. And where did this anxiety come from? Um, And so I mentioned that I launched a journal this is the journal. So very gorgeous journal. Um, and it has like envelopes in the back. 
because I like to tell my people to write letters. Um, but the, the journal is essentially six sections. It explores your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your emotions, your relationship with your mother, your father, your friends. And then, of course, everyone's favorite, your relationship with romance and intimacy. Um, and so there are 60 questions throughout the whole journal. Um, so I already have the questions in there. There are spaces for you to write letters to different individuals. And that goes and the letters that's sealed in the back of the journal. But launching this product business, I would say one of the things that I would tell every entrepreneur is like, do not skip any steps when it comes to launching your product business and sit down, write out everything you want and stand firm in things that you want. When there were times when it was time for me to one, I had to find a designer. So I found a designer. I'm like, I want to create this journal. I told her about the vision. She's like, okay, I kind of got it. And she, I held her hand throughout the whole process. We had to go through maybe eight or nine drafts because each time I'm like, nope, this is supposed to have a period. This is supposed to have a comma. This should be shifted a little, an inch over. Little small details like that. These are things that I didn't always have to think about when I'm hosting an event. Quite honestly, when you have an event, everything goes wrong anyway. And then the event turns out great and it's amazing. Um, but having a product business, I'm like, I'm ordering hundreds of these. People are going to have this in their home. This is, you know, very thick. I need everything to be perfect. When it was time for me to find manufacturers, I went on Alibaba and I messaged maybe 10 to 15 different manufacturers. I met with each of them, let them know what my idea was. A lot of them were like, wait, you want a spiral journal with envelopes in the back? Can't do it. Doesn't make sense. Okay. Well, then you're just not my manufacturer. Um, and that was hard for me because I didn't even know what they were talking about. And throughout that process, every single time I'm like, send me a picture. They're like, do you want white paper or do you want cream? Send me a picture. Send me a video. And I'm sure it probably took me maybe two to six months longer to actually execute my product because I waited. You know, I was so diligent. If it was a Sunday, it was, if it was a Friday and they asked me a question and we're on a different time zone, I would wait all the way until the next Monday before I made a decision on anything. My manufacturer even had to ship different paper to me. She asked me what weight that I want. I'm like, I don't even know what that means. She was like, okay, I can ship you the paper, but this is going to push your production back two weeks because you got to arrive to you, you got to pick it, then I got to order it. I'm like, we'll ship it. I would rather lose two weeks of my production time than have a final product that I didn't like. And so for all of those little things that went into creating my product, I think that's when I really became an entrepreneur. I was like, I don't know what I've been doing before, but this right here, this is entrepreneurship, honey. Because, I mean, first of all, it took two months for the journalists to get here. Talk about anxiety and stress. But I say all that to say all of the amazing advice everybody gave on starting your product, product um, starting your business from the strategic planning to operations and all that stuff. Um, I a thousand percent back that. And specifically for product, my key advice would just be do not skip any steps. Remember your vision. And if people don't see your vision, then that's not the business partner that you want to work with. Yes. Yes. I am here for it. I feel like I got a very good understanding of everyone's business. Um, a couple of questions in the chat said, Kishan, can you please drop the name of your journal and how to find it? Um, there's a few questions in the chat, but there's a really big question that we still have left to answer, which I think is going to be truly valuable for everyone here. And that is what is the biggest challenge that you faced as an entrepreneur um, 
I do want to ask how you fix that. I don't know if I have time to ask the fully loaded question, but we're just going to ask high level. What was the biggest challenge you faced as an entrepreneur? And in our poll, the top answers for what people really wanted to get from, um, well, what was the most puzzling thing about entrepreneurship was A, how do you raise capital? And then the second one was how to get started. And so since we kind of talked about how to get started, just want to know has if anybody's biggest challenge in entrepreneurship was raising capital. But um, I will start with Nestor, then we'll do Lauren, Brandon, and then Keyshawn. I don't know if I'd call our biggest challenge fundraising, um, but it is a huge challenge and it was a big challenge for us. I mean, I had to ask everybody I know for money to start this thing. Um, and some people say, don't ask your friends and don't ask your family. I mean, I didn't ask my family because they don't have any money to give me. And I, my friends, I mean, I asked people from high school, from undergrad, from grad school, from my first job, my second job, my third job. And that's how I had to put this together. Um, so I, I'm happy to talk with anyone who's struggling along, kind of getting these early stages, but kind of the early round, try to close it on convertible notes, safe notes, ideally do it on a rolling basis. As soon as someone tells you they're in, send them the paperwork. I Say that's that's kind of how to get your first round done, just to kind of get you going to the point you can kind of start showing some traction and get some institutional interest. Um, raising our seed round, so we just we announced uh, about a month ago that we'd raised five and a half million, um, and that was thanks. That was that was um, that was a process, but that was a lot cleaner and that was a lot easier than raising the first one and a half. So raising five and a half was a lot easier than raising one and a half. And I'm sure that's um, counterintuitive. Um, but again, I'm happy to talk about the, the, the financing process with anyone if you want to reach out. Um, and the biggest challenge, I don't, I don't want to go with a cop out, but I think kind of overcoming kind of that that uh that little voice in your head right the imposter syndrome the the man is are are all 150 of these investors i talked to wrong about this because they all said no and i mean that gets tough and then you're working on it by yourself for a long time and then you get a co-founder and then you can hire someone and you start hiring more people that believe in the vision and you slowly i mean i think you gotta just kind of uh, I don't want to be too cliche with the advice, but fake it till you make it. You, you, if you're not confident in what you're saying, how can anyone else be confident in what you're saying? So you need to get to the point where you're confident that you're an expert on your business and whatever you're saying is, is the truth. And, and, and if you, if you can't, feel that and convince yourself of that, there's no way you're going to convince anyone else. So maybe boiling it down to the one point that, that goes for storytelling, that goes for, that goes for recruiting, that goes for financing, that goes for culture building. And that's, that's storytelling. Um, and, and I think you got to get good at storytelling as a leader. If you want to build a venture back company, if you want to fundraise, if you want to hire a lot of people and motivate a lot of people telling good stories and being able to clearly and succinctly communicate is paramount. And so I'd say um, maybe that that's something that I struggled with early on. I thought, oh, I mean, I worked in banking and I went to a fancy school. Like, this is going to be easy. And no, it wasn't. Um, so I, I think I, I got knocked off my, my that chip on my shoulder. Well, I mean, I guess it kind of gave me a chip on my shoulder now. But um, I'd say that that'd be, that'd be my one piece of advice. I, I wish I had gotten good at storytelling faster and sooner. I feel like Nestor took the one that probably <laughs> everyone was going to say, except maybe Brandon, because I feel like Brandon just always has that, like he just exudes confidence. But um, imposter syndrome, oh my gosh. Um, 
Like I said, I worked it. It's way different. Entrepreneurship is way different from working for someone else. And when you step out on that limb, when you quit that full-time job, when you devote 100% to your company, that little voice in your head is just back there like, did I do something crazy? Was this a mistake? Like, do people... I didn't... Um, I ran into the into the area where no one was saying this isn't a good idea. Like I never got that. And so I felt like I had like I'm waiting for the shoe to drop rather than believing like no, you have a good idea, you're doing the right things and things. So you could be your own worst enemy as well. Um fundraising is a beast in itself and that that is a process. It's also recognizing that we're at this diverse tech and that plays a huge factor into fundraising. There was a question in the chat um, about if you don't have a degree, if you don't have a business degree, what that looks like and stuff. And there's a lot of play in network and pedigree in who you know and how you knew them and your ability to raise in a matter of weeks in comparison to someone who takes 11 months to raise. There's there's so many factors and there's books out there that uh, try and bound it all together in less than 300 pages and say, this is the blueprint and this is how it's done. But if you go and talk to a thousand different founders, you'll hear a thousand different stories of how they were able to accomplish that. So I I do, I want to say, I want to piggyback on Nestor, um, the fake it till you make it thing in confidence and being able to tell people, like not allow people to make you feel like you're saying something wrong. Because when you go in and talk to these investors, you might think it's similar to how you'd go in and you talk to a head of a company or something. You think they're more superior or more important, but in actuality, you know your product best. You know your market best. You know your customers best. And so don't let the intimidation of title get you down or make you feel some type of way. And I do want to, since I know we're short on time, I want to answer this one question in the chat really quickly about the, if you don't have a degree, my MBA, I have an engineering degree. So engineering does teach you how to solve problems, how to formulate your processes, things like that. So I will say having that type of degree really helped me from a product standpoint, being able to build build a product without having to go find a co-founding CTO or something. But as far as entrepreneurship and going and get an MBA and things, I actually had to go and take a bunch of entrepreneurship classes, take a bunch of take a bunch of other different type of courses because my MBA taught me nothing about what it really means to be a tech startup founder. And so I do want to let people know that if you're, there are now, when I went and got my MBA, which was almost, I'm going to age my, eight years ago, <laughs> uh, it was all, almost eight years ago, there, there wasn't really, entrepreneurship MBA wasn't like a big thing at that time. Um, so now there are those, but I will say that there is so much education, resources, books you can read, people you can talk to, reach out to, that's going to give you so much more learnings than going and getting a degree, joining an accelerator, an incubator, something like that, that's like, you know, we, you know, a few months or something is way more valuable than your 100,000K MBA. Yeah. Program. 
something. I, if I could just add something there too, I, I don't think even um, I just I finished my MBA two or three years ago, and I was focused on entrepreneurship, and it didn't teach me anything about being a tech <laughs> entrepreneur. Um, I, I think it. I mean, big facts is the first thing that came to mind. I mean, like, look, you're you're the CEO. Of, well, two things that I want to say. One, you're the CEO. No one has better context on your business than you. Internalize that and and gain that confidence to to know that you're talking about your business and you know better than anyone else. Um, but the best way to learn entrepreneurship is doing is is by doing it. Yeah. No one can teach you how to go on your own journey. Everyone's journey on starting a business is unique. You, we all need to learn our own uh, different skills. We need to learn where we're strong and where we're, where we're, where we're weak. And, and I think no one, no one can teach you how to do that. And so getting out there is the best way to get going. And I, and I don't think, look, not to discount education. I'm a big fan and I went to a lot of school. Um, and, and not that there isn't challenges and benefits with that network or challenges to being a Latino or a, or a person of color in, in, uh, in tech. But I think the thing about entrepreneurship is your results are going to speak for themselves. And, and once you start, once you start kind of succeeding and, and I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing anyone can tell you about your degree or, or your lack thereof. Yeah, I would say, um, so I dropped out of college. A lot of people think I have like an MBA and a whole bunch of stuff because of my resume and things like that. But I dropped out um, because I was making so much money with the business venture I had at the time. It was hard for me to balance um, running that company and, um, you know, going to school and I actually have a twin sister and my twin sister stayed and worked for me while she was in college. And now she has a big degree in working for Toyota and stuff like that. So I definitely believe in education and what it can do when I've seen it work for people. But for me, like I said, I, I felt like I was born to be an entrepreneur and I just rushed. I got into it and it was success and I just kept going. So I would co-sign what you guys said on that, that some people that that's the route. Some people is not. But I always stay with continue learning accelerators, incubators, reading, um, just a lot of knowledge, you know, and um, that's why I was able to get to where I am now. For me, the biggest challenge I would say is um, doing what you have to do so that you can do what you want to do. And when I say that, I mean that a lot of people had opinions on what my company should be even to this day, including investors who have invested in uh, partners that we have. They want me to go this route. They want me to go that route. They want me to do that because you can do a lot of things with your company, it has a lot of applications, but what should you do? When should you do it and why you do it? While I was raising capital for my company, I still had to generate revenue because the, the, the amount of money I was raising wasn't coming in fast enough to really accommodate what I was trying to build. You know what I mean? And so for us, we had to do a lot of events um, so that we could generate revenue. We had to do a lot of parties. We had to do a lot of uh, panels, a lot of workshops, a lot of seminars, a lot of meet and greets, a lot of different things to get the brand out there, um, to also validate our community that we were building, but to generate revenue while we were raising capital. And it might have confused a lot of people because they were like, okay, you say you're a tech-enabled company and you're building a platform for the community and you're going to be doing you know, educational content and live streaming and building an online community, but we see you throwing parties. You know what I mean? And we see you, um, you know, doing these events and doing, you know, studio stuff. And they didn't understand that I was trying to generate revenue so that I could use that money to support building out what they didn't see behind the scenes. You know what I mean? And so a lot of people are going to have an opinion on what you're doing and, um, and where you're going or where you're taking things. But you have to know your business model and you have to know that it takes time to get to certain stages in your company and you have to do what you have to do. Right. 
to make sure that you can keep that company afloat um, as you build out the core business model and what you're doing. And good thing is I was able to attract investors who like that side of the business. And I was able to attract investors who like the tech side of the business. And I was able to attract investors who like the educational part of the business. And so everything that my business really was started to attract a lot of different people and they all became uh, partners or investors or supporters in my company. And so I said, while you're raising capital, um, it's going to get challenging. You have to have a business model that um, that actually in, involves a way to stay afloat where you can build the plane and fly it at the same time. You know what I mean? Um, otherwise, you might fail, you know, and that's hard to do. I make it sound very easy, but it's not really easy to do. It's hard to do. And you have to be ready to pivot just in case you need to focus on one thing that's going to bring you that money. Like we have sponsors who are like, I'll give you a check right now if you do this with your company because it benefits me. I had investors, so I'll invest right now if I could use you as leverage to do this over here. And you have to think like, okay, I don't want to, you know, not be on point with my business model, but I don't want to leave money on the table that I need, you know what I mean, to grow my company. What do you do? You know what I mean? And so we have to get really creative, really innovative, and we have to make some real uh, tough decisions. And so, yes, sometimes it's good to raise money. Sometimes it's not. My last thing would be make sure you're educated about fundraising because one of the things that I learned by going through the accelerator and incubators that I went through is what it really means to have a cap table, what it really means to raise money in rounds, what it really means to have equity, you know, taken out of your company and what, you know, what bylaw. Like, I feel like I'm a lawyer at this point. All of the, the legal things that I know, you know, based off of raising money, you know what I mean? And so from convertible notes to equity to crowdfunding to SEC regulations to bylaws and corporate infrastructure, I learned a lot about just how you raise money and how you build a, a real a corporation and cap table. And then also how you leverage money and leverage your cap table to really grow and scale your company. And so these are the things that they don't tell you about entrepreneurship. And you have to go find it and you have to religiously be excited and passionate about the knowledge if you really want to play the game at a high level. And I'll leave it at that. I want to piggyback really quick off of something Brandon said about the different, I think he talked about three different trajectories his business goes into. And the biggest thing um, with fundraising is know the investor you're talking to, because if you bring in one of the stories, like uh, the service part of his business and the parties he's throwing to that tech VC they're going to discount you as soon as you say that because they're like, oh, no, that's not scalable. But he has a scalable part. And so that's where he when he comes in and he's telling that story, he's telling that story focused on that scalable part. And then when he's talking to the investors who care more about the, OK, you have this community that you're building. People are going to come out to these events. He's telling that version of the story. And so that's a big thing that they don't tell you. Even on these applications that I'm sure you're all applying to for pitch competitions to get into the accelerators, to get into the incubators, there is that question there that they're looking for your sustainability. They they want to know you have a grand vision, but don't give. But they're also like, but don't give me the grand vision that seems too too hard to accomplish. Like, what's the vision that is achievable and that's scalable? And so it's always playing that. I see I see Nestor's face, but it's always <sighs> playing that game of like, 
what piece of infant, like what part are you going to tell? What story are you going to tell in that moment? And then remaining authentic to yourself because investors will try and change the core of your business and take you down a complete path that will have you fail. And then we'll be like, oh, sorry. When you're sitting there like, this was my baby <laughs> and you were supposed to be there to guide me. And so it goes back to what Brandon and Nestor said that you are the CEO, the visionary, the strategist of your company for a reason. Take in the advice that these people are coming in to your board and to be a part of your team to give you. But you need to make sure that you are making the best decisions for the company and not for an individual because of a check. You have to make sure you're getting your partners that are going to be for the company, not for themselves. So I'll, I'll leave it at that and let Keyshawn. I love that. I love that, Lauren. And also what I appreciate so much about this is that I have just, I mean, like as in like last month entered the raising capital stage. So I'm just over here. Yes, I'm here as a speaker, but I'm also just like taking so many notes um, in my head. So thank you guys for breaking that down. I would say one of the challenges for me, and that was the question. I want to make sure I'm answering the question, Shannon. It was about the challenging, the most challenging thing. Yeah, so I alluded to it earlier, but I would definitely say launching a product business, um, mainly because one of the things that I realized with launching a product business is that every decision that you make for your product impacts something else. If I can give a small example about this, I told you guys that my manufacturer shipped paper to me and she wanted me to know what weight of paper I wanted. So I wanted really thick paper. I've been journaling since I was six years old. There's just something about thick paper. I would either, maybe you guys do the same thing. If someone's like, hey, if you ask someone or someone gives you a slice of paper to write on, you want them to rip out like four or five. Like you want it to be a little thick so you can write on it. And I was really big on that. What I didn't know is when I chose my thick paper, that also meant the size of my journal went up. This is a three pound journal, which also meant that it cost me three, it cost me more to ship my full quantity. And then that also meant that it cost $10 to ship this journal just to my customers. So now that increases the costs and things like that. And so that was one of the things for me, aside from just learning um, all the different terminology that I had to understand. I mean, even when she asked me for the weight of the paper, I'm like, I don't know. Thick. <laughs> you know, I didn't think about the different um, the different measurements that went into it and all those different things and down to the colors. Um, I think I thought that I just wanted white paper, but actually white paper has a yellow kind of tone to it. So what you actually want is like egg white and things like that. Um, and so that was one of the major things for me for a product business was understanding that every single decision that I made then impacts um, my supply chain, my costs and things like that. Um, Another thing, someone mentioned that little person in your head. Um, that's something that I also have been managing throughout my whole time of being an entrepreneur. I know that people talk about like grinding and being your own boss and things like that, but it could also be very anxious to launch a business, to maintain a business. And sometimes you have to make sure you know how to manage your emotions and your moods because sometimes that anxiety can get so crippling that it kind of stunts your growth and it stunts your creativity. You start overthinking, you start questioning yourself. And 
this business that although yes it is a business but this product or this service that was brings you so much joy and so much passion can now feel like a, the biggest weight on your chest because you're extremely anxious or overwhelmed or it can feel crippling um, and the last thing I'll just say is, as I already mentioned, I'm now shifting into the raising capital stage. So definitely working on storytelling. Um, everything from my business thus far has come from me. As mentioned in my bio, I do have a professional development business, which has been it's grown so much and it continues to grow so much so that I don't even have to promote it. It's more like a referral based um company. Um, I'm able to work with, like I said before, companies like NFL Films who bring me in um, every year to host LinkedIn profile sessions. Um, I have companies that just hire me for the month and say 5.30 to 9.30, three days out of the week. My um, employees are going to schedule a one-hour LinkedIn session with you and you'll bang them out at the end of the month to let me know how many employees you work with and I'll cut the check. So the business has been amazing. It's been blooming um, and it's a great business because they're there are no um, expenses. The only expense is my time. Um, all I have to do is come on and speak to people about their LinkedIn's. And so because of that, all of the revenue that comes from that business then goes into this business. And that's how I'm able to kind of keep the cycle going, um, which is great and amazing. However, I want what you guys have, um, all the amazing funding. So um, I'm really excited to shift more into that raising capital space. And I want to thank you guys for providing a lot of that insight because it was super helpful. Your time is expensive. Don't let it go too too easily. Oh um, yeah, very true. Very true. I'm supposed to be on vacation today, and I have like three clients. Not <laughs> good. Duplicate yourself. Find ways to duplicate your excellence. Yes. I feel like this needs to be a whole nother panel, but since we gotta go, <laughs> I'm gonna wrap up and just thank everyone. Thank Nestor, Brandon, Lauren, Keyshawn. Please drop your business um, links in the chat. Make sure that professionals here that are in the audience today have a way to find you, have a way to reach out to you if they have additional questions. I did see a few questions for each one of you, but unfortunately we don't have time. Um, we will be going into the lobby. We don't have that much time. I want to say maybe about five to 10 minutes max. So if speakers, you want to hang out in the lobby just to chat with a few of the audience members here before we go into our next session, we probably have about five to 10 minutes for that. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you for joining us at Diverse Tech Fest. And we will see you soon because I feel like we need another. We need a follow-up panel. We need a part two. <laughs> All right, y'all. Have a good day. Thanks, everybody.